0: Praise God. Praise God for his family and thank God for his word today. We want you to know that uh, this last portion of the service is the most important portion. We believe that uh, that this book is the most important book on the face of the earth. And God has given us wisdom in his word to lead us and to guide us. And so my heart for you today is that you would open your heart, open your mind and your ears and be inclined today, not just to m- my uh, words or to my communication style and whether that's something familiar or unique to you, regardless of all of that. I, I want to ask you to listen on a deeper level today. I want to ask you to listen with your heart to what the Holy Spirit of God wants to say to you today. And I believe he has a word for all of us. So thank you again for being here with us. If you've got your Bibles, open them with me today to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 23. That's where we're going to begin today. A brand new series that we're calling Seven You know, you can do a little uh, study of history or even a Google search and you can find out that there are a lot of famous last words, famous last words. There's something significant about uh, a person's last words. As a pastor in the ministry for several years, I've had the opportunity to sit at many people's bedsides with family and friends and and people uh, are, are more attentive than usual. Have you been there before? People are leaning in. people are listening. They, even in the, the final moments when it's hard to communicate, people are just hoping that there's one more uh, one more opportunity that they can say something or share something and we want to hold on to last words. They're significant. Well, I was looking this week at some significant last words and some not so significant last words. And uh, one of them I came across was that of George Washington, our first president, one of the greatest uh, people to ever live in this nation's history. He died on December 14th, 1799. And his words were this. I die hard, but I am not afraid to go. thought that was a significant statement. I read another uh, last word. It was from General George Sedgwick. He was the Union commander killed in battle during the Civil War. And he said this, and I quote... They couldn't hit an elephant from this dis, end quote. Last words. And then I thought about one in more recent history. Many of you remember the name Todd Beamer. It was on September 11th, 2001, about 15 years ago. He was one of the passengers on the plane that was hijacked by terrorists. And his voice was overheard on a cell phone of saying a phrase that was a uh, comment to him. He said the words, let's roll. And many of you that remember that, that time in our nation's history, you know that his last words became a rally cry for a nation. Let's roll. Well, I want to tell you today that if you had been so audacious, if you had been so bold as to have come near the hill of the skull... On the day that Jesus was crucified at Calvary. You would have heard him make seven statements. During the six grueling hours that Jesus hung suspended between heaven and earth. He said some final words. And I believe. And this is the premise for where this series is going. That we're beginning today. I believe that the statements that were spoken by Jesus on the cross. The thoughts that were on the forefront of his mind communicate what was preeminent in the heart of Christ. These are the things that mattered the most. Those statements that he spoke out through blistered and beaten and swollen, bloodied lips, racked with pain, gasping for air. He chose these words. And we're going to look at one or two of those statements this morning. And I want these words that Jesus spoke from the cross to speak to your heart and to mine today. And the first statement is in Luke chapter 23. This is a word of forgiveness. It says, and if you have a Bible today, I would encourage you to put your eyes on the text. We'll put some of these scriptures on the screen. If you want to borrow a Bible, we have them there in the uh, in the racks under the chairs. You can use one, but Luke's gospel... It's page 1147 in my book, if that helps. Luke 23, beginning in verse 34. It says, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. Now, most all of us, I would assume, have likely seen the images of Roman soldiers performing a crucifixion. At the very least, we've all seen the silhouette of the the three figures hanging on the cross. Jesus speaks this word as he looks down at those men who are now gambling to see who's going to win the only earthly possession that he still had, his garment. Jesus looks down at those men and he says, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. The reality is, history tells us that the Roman Empire crucified thousands of people. We don't celebrate Easter today because of the crucifixion. There were a lot of people that were crucified. We celebrate Easter today because Jesus was crucified, he died, and three days later he rose again. Amen? There have been lots of people that have prophesied their own death. In fact, as I thought about it this week, my grandfather came to mind. My grandfather said... In 1999, he said, I I won't live to see the new millennium. And on December 31st, 1999, while everybody else was wondering what Y2K was going to do to our computers, he slipped into eternity. But that's not so significant. But if somebody were to prophesy their, their death and their burial and... Say three days later, I'm going to rise again from the dead. And they did it. I'm going to tell you, that event would change human history. It would cause us to reset the calendars of human history. And we did. Believer, atheist, it doesn't matter. Today is 2017, the year of our Lord. He changed history forever. And the statement that he said in that moment was, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing but in the natural they knew what they were doing in the natural and truth be told so do we this morning we know what we're doing because what jesus was talking about was not this practice of of a cruel and unusual punishment what he was talking about was sin and every one of us we know we know how to do that in fact i was remembering my oldest daughter morgan who's 14 now but when she was a little baby, we had one of those uh little what do you call those little things they run around the kitchen in? A walker. Yeah, big word for me this morning. <laughs> Glad you're listening. I don't have babies anymore. I've already I've already erased that part of my vocabulary. She's in the walker and, and we had those little childproof Uh, cabinet locks, you know, the ones where you have to open it just about an inch and push the tab down. She was a smart kid and, and she figured out how to do that. And so she would pull it open and open it. So we're always telling her and my wife would say, no, 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 no to Morgan. Now nobody had to teach Morgan how to sin. Nobody had to teach her how to disobey. It's amazing how instinctively we acquire those skills. But it was funny because she used to tell on herself. We'd be in one room and she'd be in her walker. In the other room, rolling around on the tile floor. And all of a sudden we'd hear, no, no. No, no. And we knew she was in there telling on herself. Because she's got the cabinets all open. No, no. No, no. And it's amazing how we, we just know how to sin, don't we? And these men just knew how to sin. But what they didn't know was that they were killing the very Son of God. And so Jesus in that moment says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. But the reality is, church, Jesus wasn't just talking about those men who were executing Him that day. There were others that were involved in His execution. In fact, in Acts chapter 2, about 53 days after this event, Peter, the apostle, stands up on the day of Pentecost and he preaches a message to the people of Israel. I want you to see the words that he said to him in Acts 2, beginning in verse 22. He said this, fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, signs and wonders, which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. He said, this man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, here's the indictment today. He said, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. Peter was saying in that moment to all of Israel, look, you might not have had the hammer in your hand, but you are just as guilty of killing Jesus. Pontius Pilate, the story tells us that there were three different times that he tried to argue. I, I find no fault in this man. There's no reason to kill him. But the will of the people won the day as they shouted out, crucify, crucify him, crucify him. And so in Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost, in Acts chapter 2, in verse 36, he says this word to the people. He says, therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. There's something amazing happened in that moment. The Bible says in the next verse that the people were cut to the heart. It says they were cut to the heart at this. Peter's words gripped them and they had conviction. And suddenly they cried out to him and they said, What must we do to be saved? And the Bible says that Peter in that moment replied, In verse 38 of Acts 2, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Then he said something that's rather interesting in the next verse. He said, this promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, for all that the Lord our God will call. Now, why would he in that moment mention their children? Certainly the kids weren't involved in the crucifixion of Jesus. Why in that moment would he mention those who are far off? I mean, they didn't have Google or Twitter. I mean, nobody even knew that was far off about Jesus' death. And yet, Peter understood something in that moment when he proclaimed the word in Acts 2. He understood that in Luke 23, when Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He wasn't just talking about the Roman soldiers who were crucifying him. And he wasn't just talking about the people of Israel who instigated it. He was talking about the whole world. See, the Bible tells us what Jesus meant in going to the cross in John 3.16. Maybe the most quoted verse, at least in American culture. It says that for God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. The whole world, the whole world was his mission and his motive for going to the cross. When Jesus said, father, forgive them, he was talking about you and me. And can I just slow down here? And say this, because this is maybe the most important information you're going to get all day. No, let me up the ante and say this. This is the greatest news you're ever going to hear in your whole life. On the cross, Jesus forgave you. He forgave you. What a word. He forgave you. You know, there's some people that... they're They think that God loves them because of all the good things they do. But on the cross, Jesus forgave you before you could do any of those good things. There's other people, that the pushback for them is that God could never love me because of all the bad things I've done. But the grace of God says that before you could have done any of those bad things, Jesus forgave you on the cross. He prayed for you. He said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what it is that they're doing. And I can't say it any more eloquently or powerfully than the Apostle Paul said it when he wrote these words in Romans chapter 5. He said, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates His own love for us in this. And Can we read this last part of it together? Come on, let's say it. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Wow. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. On the forefront of Jesus' mind, as He hung suspended between heaven and earth, was your forgiveness. Your forgiveness. And can I point out the obvious today? That it's not called for earnestness. It's not called for deservedness. Forgiveness is a gift. It's a gift that is given. And like any gift, it has to be received. You know, there's a story of, of a little boy and girl, Johnny and Sally, who spent the summers at their grandparents' farm. Johnny was outside and he was, he was playing one day with his new slingshot. He was trying to get the hang of it, but he couldn't hit the broadside of the barn. I mean, literally, he tried. He couldn't hit the broadside of the barn. And so he didn't think too much about it when he saw his grandma's baby ducklings wandering across the driveway. Without much thought, he just pulled up the slingshot and took aim. And to his surprise, about 25 yards away, he hit one of those ducks. That little thing killed over right there. And Johnny goes running over to look at the evidence. And quickly, he hides the duck under a rock. And in that moment, he looks up and he sees his sister, Sally. She's watching the whole thing. He's going, oh my God." Oh my God. He knows, he knows he's going to be in trouble. To his surprise, Sally doesn't say anything. She just goes in the house. So he goes in the house and chokes down lunch very quietly at the table. Still, Sally said nothing. When all of a sudden, grandmother says, Johnny, uh, you can play outside. It's Sally's turn to do the dishes. And Sally says, Granny, Johnny said he wants to do the dishes. Remember the duck. So Johnny reluctantly gets up from the table and he goes and he does the dishes. After a while, grandpa comes downstairs and he says, you kids want to go fishing? Granny says, well, I need Sally to stay here and help me bake a pie. To which Sally responds, Johnny said he wanted to bake a pie. She looks at him and says, remember the duck. So Johnny goes back into the kitchen. Sally goes fishing. On and on this charade plays out for the next week and a half. He's guilt ridden and he's held in bondage by it all. Finally, he can't take it anymore. So with head hung low, he goes into the kitchen and he confesses to his grandmother. He says, Granny... Last week, I was shooting my slingshot and, and, and I aimed at one of the ducks. And I'm no good with the slingshot. I didn't think I'd hit him, but I did. And, and I killed the duck and I and I hit it under the rock. And, and now he's in tears and he can't even talk anymore. And to his shock and amazement, his grandma says, I know. I watched the whole thing from the kitchen window. She said, Johnny, because I love you, I forgave you right away. And I was beginning to wonder, how long you were going to let your sister keep you in bondage? Can I tell you today, that's the way it is with God. Long before you ever came to Him with tear-filled eyes and said, God, I'm sorry for everything I did, He forgave you. He watched it all from the window. He's been watching the whole time. He forgave you. And he, the grace of God, the forgiveness of God is a gift. And the only way to appreciate the gift is to receive it. And Jesus wants you to receive that gift of His grace today. One of the greatest things about God's forgiveness is this. The Bible says when Jesus forgives you, He forgets. He forgets about the sin. Isaiah 43 and verse 25. The Lord said this, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake. And I remember your sins no more. You know, it was the Moravians that took the gospel to the Eskimo people. And when they got there, they struggled to communicate the power of forgiveness for one reason. There wasn't a word that translated as forgiveness into their language. And so they were trying to communicate to the people God's forgiveness. And so what they decided to do and what we often do in language translation is they decided to make a compound word. They, they put several words together to make a new word. Now before I try to say this word so that you give me some grace, I want you to see the word. Yeah, you can give it your best shot. I'm going to say, Asuma <laughs> gejujung I don't know what that sounds like with me saying it, but to those Eskimo people, it had a beautiful connotation to it, because this word, when spoken in their language, meant not being able to think about it anymore. Forgiveness. Not being able to think about it anymore. And that's a a picture of what it is when we experience the forgiveness of God. He's not able to think about it anymore. And can I tell you this morning, there's nowhere in all of the Bible that that is more beautifully illustrated than in the second word that Jesus communicated from the cross. It's there in Luke 23, in the same chapter, a little farther down, in verse 39 there were two criminals that hung on the cross, one on Jesus' left and one on his right. And the Bible tells us in verse 39, one of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence, we are punished justly for what we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man... Has done nothing wrong. Verse 42 says, then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, truly, I tell you today, you will be with me in paradise. Can I tell you this is a word of salvation? This is a word of salvation. And this moment, I believe, says a whole lot about the grace of God. If we could just lean in to this conversation between Jesus and a criminal on the cross, it tells us a lot of things about the grace of God. First thing it tells me is that nobody is beyond the grace of God. I mean, we're quick to write people off. We're quick to, to make a, a decision or assumption about somebody and decide whether they can or can't be saved. But this is a criminal who, by his own admission, deserves the punishment that he's getting. Death. Execution. Now, I would dare say if we went down to the prison today and, and did a survey of all of the prisoners, we'd discover there's a lot of people down there that would say by their own, uh, by their own verdict, they're innocent. Or at the very least, they would say, we don't deserve the harsh punishment that we're getting. Not this guy. He was so bad, so evil, so wicked, that he said, we're getting what we deserve. And yet, here's a man who was not outside of the reach of God's grace. The second thing this conversation tells me is, is how to be saved. That's a big question that needs to be answered. How is a person going to be saved? Well, it's certainly not by good works. This guy couldn't do anything. He couldn't do any good works. He's there on the cross. He's not going anywhere. He's about to breathe his last breath. Wait a minute. Am I saying that somebody can live their whole life like the devil, live for themselves, do as they please, and then on their deathbed, cry out to God for mercy, and He'll actually save them and they'll have an eternity in heaven? That's exactly what I'm saying. For some of us, that's hard to deal with. For the religious, that's hard to deal with, because there's something in us that wants to believe we earned this. There's something in us that, that wants to believe we've done enough now, to get on God's good side. That maybe, just maybe, he loves us a little bit more than somebody else. But this story tells us that this man could do nothing to earn the grace of God except to ask for it. Do you have to be baptized in water to be saved? Apparently not. Do you have to join a church to be saved? No. This guy couldn't join a church. That's a good idea if you don't plan on dying in a few hours. We encourage you, join a church, it'll help you live. But this guy didn't have to join a church to be saved. He just simply called out on Jesus. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. So how are you saved? Well, he confessed he was a sinner. When he said those words, we deserve the punishment that we're getting. He confessed he's a sinner. The Bible says that... We confess our sins to God and He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So you got to confess. Confess just means this. It means saying the same thing about sin that God says. It means coming to the place in your heart and your life where you acknowledge it for what it really is. I deserve this punishment. Maybe he denied it for all of his life, but his judgment was sobered in that moment, right before death, and he realized I deserve this. And he confessed it to Jesus. Second thing he did is, he put faith in Jesus. His words were, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He recognized he was not dying next to another criminal. Or even just... Another man that was falsely accused. He knew in this moment by faith. Jesus has a kingdom that shall know no end. This is the son of God. Of the lineage of David. This is Christ the Lord. Remember me. When you come into your kingdom. You have to believe that Jesus is. Who he said he is. And this man did that in that moment. The Bible declares to us. In Romans 10. Verse 9 and 10. This is what it looks like to be saved. If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and you're justified. And it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Quickly, let me let me tell you two final things that this picture, this conversation between Jesus and this criminal on the cross communicates to me. This word of salvation tells me just how committed Jesus is to saving the lost. Can I be honest with you today? I don't wake up every day focused on the lost. In fact, I wake up some days and I just don't want to be around people. Am I the only one? Like, I just, you know, I, I got my own things going on. I got things to do. Maybe I'm not feeling well. Maybe my, my priorities and other things. But there's days in my life where I'm I'm just not interested in your issues. I know you didn't expect to hear that from a preacher on Easter Sunday, but the Bible says confession is good for the soul, and i got to be honest. Some days, I just don't really care about everything going on in everybody else's life, but that's not the case with Jesus. I mean, if there was ever a day, if there was ever a moment where he could exempt himself from your problems, it's this moment. While he's hanging on the cross, Gasping for air. Suffering for the sins of the world. Jesus is saving the lost. He's saving the lost, not just in body, but in conversation. He's responding to somebody that's calling out for salvation. And I would challenge you to find one place that Jesus ever rejected anybody that called on Him for salvation. It's one prayer He will always hear. And Jesus was so committed to the lost... That right down to his final moments of life. Right down to his last bit of strength. He was faithful in answering the call of salvation. Now let me tell you the fourth and final thing that, that this moment on the cross shows me. And listen carefully because this is so significant today. This moment. These last words communicate to me today. The power of unbelief. Unbelief. Because while Jesus is dying on the cross, and on one side there's a man who's saying, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Don't forget there's someone on a cross. On the other side, who's just as close to Jesus, who heard the words, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. But the Bible says instead of calling out for salvation with his dying breath, he hurled insults at Jesus i got to be honest with you, Easter's a big deal to the church. And if you're a guest here for the first time, or maybe you just don't come to church on a normal basis, let me tell you, we were expecting you. And I'm glad you're here. We are thrilled that we have days like Christmas and Easter where people are motivated to go and to do church as a family. We love that. We absolutely love that. But let me just tell you what can happen in, in our hearts. If we're not careful, we can start to think that it's up to us. If God moves in your life today. Let let me just be totally honest. Okay. As a preacher. Sometimes the temptation is for me to believe. That it's up to me. For God to move in the hearts of his people. Whether you attend here regularly. Or this is the only time you've ever listened to me preach. The temptation in my heart. In my life. Is to think that if I preach it right. If we sing the right songs. If everything goes according to plan. Then God can move. But I am underestimating in that moment the power of unbelief. And I was reminded this week of a town named Capernaum. Capernaum was a place where Jesus preached. In fact, the Bible says he did many miracles there. Many of his sermons were preached in Capernaum. Mark chapter 2 tells the story of a time when the house was so packed with people that were coming to see Jesus that there was no room to get in. And so some men carried their friend on a stretcher. He was paralyzed. And they tore the roof off the house and lowered him down so that Jesus could heal him. That's the kind of stuff that happened in Capernaum. Jesus did heal him. In fact, the Bible says that the people were amazed. And they praised God in Capernaum. But The problem with that city was, revealed to us in Matthew's Gospel, Because in spite of all the miracles that they had seen, in spite of everything that God had done there, the Bible says in Matthew chapter 11, Jesus spoke of that city. And he said these words in verse 23, And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted to the heavens? No. You will go down to Hades. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Sodom, It would have remained to this day. But I tell you that it will be more bearable for Sodom on the day of judgment than it will be for you. They had literally heard the most amazing sermons that could ever be preached. They saw miracles Of resurrection of of lame limbs and, and blind eyes. And they saw miracle after miracle after manifestation of God's power. Right before their very eyes. But the end result is many of those people never saw salvation. Many of those people never came to faith in Jesus as Lord. And he spoke judgment over them. In a very harsh way. It's a reminder to me. That the same sun that softens butter. Hardens clay. And in this house, the same word can go forth and it can draw one person's heart to Jesus in such a way that you would say today, remember me, Jesus. Remember me today. And at the same time, someone else in the same room hearing the same words or watching online could respond to this with rejection. It's the power of unbelief seen at the cross. Here's the gospel today. If you haven't gathered it yet, from all of our singing, from all of our praying, from all of our preaching, it's simply this. Jesus is the Son of God. He came and lived a sinless life. He performed miracles, signs, and wonders. He prophesied that He would be arrested, that He would be condemned to die a cruel death on the cross. And He did. And He also said, in three days, I'll rise again. And He did. He's alive and well today. The Bible says he sits at the right hand of God in heaven. What's he doing up there? The Bible says he ever lives to make intercession for you. Right now, the Son of God, the living, risen Savior is praying for you and for me. That's the message of the gospel that's been delivered to us. The question that you need to ask yourself is simply this. Do I believe it? Do I believe it? Or do I reject this gospel? The last verse I'm going to give you and then we're going to pray. The Bible says in First John chapter 5 and verse 10, Whoever believes in the Son of God accepts this testimony. But whoever doesn't believe, God has made him out to be a liar. Because they have not believed the testimony about God. I believe that the last words that Jesus spoke in his life. The last words of the living word. Communicate to us today. The most important thing that God wants you to hear. On Easter Sunday 2017. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And just as sure as he would look into the eyes of a criminal who's rightly condemned, he would look into your eyes regardless of your past. And he would accept you into his kingdom.